So good to be here this morning, get up and see you guys. Um, this is such an exciting era here in the Landmark Church. Uh, Dan and I have been looking over just the list of guests that we have right now, and I, I cannot remember in decades uh, this many guests coming, and uh, those are the ones we have cards on. So if you hadn't filled a connection card out, we're not going to drive you crazy. We'd love to be able to text you, give you a phone call. Please fill that out. You know, I get to see this from different vantage points. Uh, Wednesday night, I was blessed to uh, be over in the Life Center and eat dinner with RSVP and Mount that ministry, helping people overcome addictions is just exploding. We're going to have to give them a bigger room. And then after that, I'm walking through the gym, and there's all these fifth and sixth graders with the blue flame that are already there early and playing ball and just lots and lots of them. Walk over in this building, and I see teenagers and streaming into the youth ministry and adults going into their ABC groups, grab my stuff, walk back over to the Life Center and have the privilege of teaching just a great group of college students. I mean, just great things <coughs> are going on in this church, and it's a very exciting time, and appreciate you being here. And if you're new to us, <coughs> we challenge you, jump in. There's lots of work to be done. Look for somebody new that you may not know and shake their hand and make sure they feel warmly welcome to Landmark. We continue our audacious series on God. It reminds me of the little boy. He's doodling. The preacher comes by and says, are you drawing a picture? He said, well, yes. Well, what are you drawing the picture of? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the preacher says, well, we all know nobody knows what God looks like. And the little boy just keeps on drawing without even looking up, says, when I get through, you will. (laughs) And guys, today, we continue to look at the attributes of God. And we don't have to to work on somebody's picture. We're working on the very picture that God gave of himself in Exodus chapter 34. It's the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. Catch this, by the Bible, okay? Okay. So if you would, let's stand for a reading from God's holy word, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. After Moses asked God to show him his glory, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, here's God's words, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. You may be seated. This week, we come to this three-word phrase that says so much about God. He is slow to anger. Right now, we're going to emphasize the word slow. It's from a Hebrew word. Let's try to sound intelligent this morning. That is Eric Apeyam. Say it with me. Eric Apeyam, you said your first Hebrew word. Okay, it's a Hebrew word. Here's what it means. It means long of nostril, okay? So if you're going to draw a picture of God, you better draw him with, some lo- uh, with a big long nose, okay? You say, what in the world is long of nostril about? Well, we understand when someone gets angry, their chest puffs out, their nostrils flare, and words fly. But when you hold back, you shut your mouth, you purse your lips, and you breathe through your nostrils. Your nostrils get long. It's a vivid way of saying God 
is slow to anger. Now we see this very Hebrew word in some other passages. Look in Proverbs with me, Proverbs 14. Whoever is patient, erik apayim, that's the word there, long of nostril. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. He's contrasting the one who's slow to anger with the person who's quick-tempered. And then another proverb, 16. Better a patient, there's our good, our word, a reek a payam. A better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. He's saying to be slow to anger is to have self-control. So God is slow to anger. Now, remember what we talked about last week. First of all, literally, this word means what? Long of nostril. But last week we said God's baseline emotion is compassion and mercy. In other words, God's God's normal everyday personality, he doesn't fly off the handle. He's not always angry. God's baseline emotion is he's kind and he's gracious and he's forgiven, forgiving. Now, can God be angry? Yes. It, it, it's like this week. I, I was asked twice to describe someone I knew. The, the, the first person I described this way, I said, you know, this person is really laid back. They hardly ever get angry. But if you push them into a corner, eventually they're going to come out swinging. They're slow to anger. And then I was asked to describe someone else. I said, you know, they just sort of stay on angry. I mean, they just, everywhere they go, they're just responding to people with angry, anger. Everywhere they go, someone's done them wrong. And so they are quick to anger. Now, please do not ask me the names of those people. But that's two different descriptions. And the description that fits God is the person who basically is compassionate and gracious and merciful, but does have the ability to be angry. It reminds me of that um, movie, Lincoln. Anybody remember what a great job Daniel Day-Lewis did playing Lincoln? And there's this one scene where Lincoln is, it's the middle of the night. Lincoln's White House was an organizational disaster, if you read about it. But his cabinet is meeting in the middle of the night. They're around the cabinet table. Lincoln is wanting to pass the 13th Amendment and to end slavery. Every one of his cabinet members opposes it. And in the middle of the scene, they're arguing with each other. Lincoln's at the end of the table, just as calm as he can be. And it goes on and on and on. And finally, in that moment, this patient man, if you know anything about Lincoln, he was not a man given to anger. He slammed his fist on the table and said, I've heard enough of this. And he went ahead and passed the 13th Amendment. And guys, that's the picture I believe we're going to see of God today. There is that moment. God is patient. He's slow to anger. But there is that moment where God's anger is present. Just like Lincoln's. Lincoln's anger in that moment was fitting. It was appropriate. It was deliberate. It was under control. And so when we talk about God being slow to anger, here's what I want you to know. You can make God mad, but you're going to have to work hard at it. Because a normal baseline emotion is not anger. So we talked about being slow to anger. Now let's change the emphasis for a moment. Let's talk about being slow to anger with anger being the main word here. He does get mad. 
Understand this. Don't misunderstand. And sometimes God gets really mad. In fact, let me just tell you some things that the Bible says. The wrath of God is mentioned 600 times in your Bible. 600 times. And guys, wrath is not just anger. Wrath is extreme anger. Let's look at a couple passages on that one. Psalms chapter 7. And I think this will, will sum some of it up for us. God is a righteous judge. A God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword and he will bend and string his bow. You got a picture of a God who at times gets angry? At times wields a sword? Actually brings back a bow? Yes, God can get that angry. Look at this passage from Psalms 11. I'm not even comfortable with this one. The Lord examines the righteous... But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. You okay with the passage that says God hates somebody? God detests somebody? I think it's a vivid picture to tell us, you know, there is a point where God has finally got to a point where he is absolutely angry. You go, buddy, I am so uncomfortable with this. I'm I I don't even like the idea of a God who can be angry. And let's stop on that just for a moment, okay? Because there is a big problem with a God who never gets angry. You say, I can't believe in a God of wrath. Think about that for a moment. How would you feel about a God who's not mad at a terrorist walking into a mall with a bomb strapped to his chest ready to kill innocent people. Is that okay for God to be okay with that? How would you feel about God not caring about that abusive parent or that uncle who abuses a child who's a pedophile? You okay with God being calm about that? You okay with God being calm about children being, this happens in our world every day, children being sold into prostitution by their parents? You okay with the con artists ripping off the elderly people in our community? You okay with Russians bombing not just apartment complexes, but deliberately bombing children's hospitals? Guys, we we should have a big problem with a God who doesn't get angry about those kind of things. Why? Because if, 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 if God doesn't get angry on those kind of evil things, then we don't have a God of justice. We don't have a God of right and wrong. His emotion just stays the same no matter what you or I or any terrible person does. You don't want that kind of God. I don't want that kind of God. Because not only is it a God with no justice, it's also a God, if I can be blunt with you, it's a God of no love. You see, the kind of love God has, we talked about it last week, is a parental love. I mean, it's watching your children and just being swollen with pride and joy, just watching them play or seeing them graduate college or seeing them start their own family. There's a joy to that. But on the other hand, that same parental love would be angry if you see your child being abused. And it would be appropriate. What well, would be inappropriate for you not to be angry. 
So guys, if we talk about a God and we go, I'm uncomfortable with a God of anger or wrath, we're really uncomfortable with a God of love. Ellie Weisel, that Holocaust survivor, made a very wise statement. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. It's indifference. Think about that just for a moment. It's indifference. The opposite of love, not hate. It's indifference. The, the same love that motivates you to be tender and caring for your child is the same love that would motivate you to be angry at someone who's taking advantage of them. And so God, I think, I hope you see this in this, this study. Where God is a, a personal God. God. God has a personality. God isn't like us. He's a being. He's, he's emotional. And, and he has a whole gambit of emotions. Now, unlike us, his anger is not ego-driven. Normally, we get angry if someone hurts us. I, mean, I get really mad someone hurt me. Or I get mad if someone made me look stupid. And then I get mad. God, God's not reactionary in that way. God's love and God's anger, even his anger, is driven by parental love. He's mad when he sees that dope dealer on the streets selling drugs to a child. And he should be. God's emotional. He's slow to anger. But he can't get angry. Because here's what scripture teaches. There's a point when God says, enough. The point where he just finally says, You've crossed a line. Now, I'm going to give you three stories, three examples. There's a point where, like Lincoln, where God finally says, I can't take this anymore. Let's, let's give three examples real quickly. First of all is Nahum, all right? You remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah is one of those places where our, our scripture is quoted from Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And, and, and remember, Jonah there, Jonah is mad at God. Why is he mad at God? Because God spares his arch enemy, the Ninevites. So when God finally coerces him to go to Nineveh, he preaches this message and they repent. Jonah basically says, God, I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you were full of compassion and mercy. And that's why I didn't want to preach you. Guys, more times than not, in the Bible, people aren't mad at God for his anger. They're mad at God for his mercy. Because he shows mercy to people they don't think deserve it. And so we, we saw Jonah mad because God was so merciful to the enemies. Now we get to Nahum. And Nahum's going to quote the passage again. But Nahum is 150 years later. And the Ninevites have gone back. Talking about evil. Read there. I mean, terrible. The things I've talked about would be everyday occurrences. The Ninevites have gone back to terrible sin. And now Nahum quotes the passage about God's anger. Look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord is jealous and an avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes. He vents his wrath against his enemies. Here we go. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Despite the fact God had forgiven the Ninevites, they had gone back into a life of rebellion and cruelty, and God finally reached the point where he says, enough is enough. 
You've reached the end of my patience. That's quite an example there. Now, number two, and you probably know the story I'm going to. This is of Jesus. It happens in John chapter 2. And you remember when Jesus, when does Jesus get angry? When's the angriest place in the gospel? Somebody throw it out for me. The temple, okay? We all, we all know it's that crazy temple scene. Now, before we read it, let's, let's, let's understand the background. What's going on that makes God so mad? Well, guys, the temple is the holiest place on earth. Uh, now, your body's the holiest place on earth. But in that day, that's where God dwelled, okay? And, and, and so that was the place where people connected with God. If he would come, Jewish people would come from throughout the world just for a chance to be close to God. And yet the temple would turn into quite a joke. Let's say you live a few hours outside of Jerusalem and you're coming to the temple and you're bringing your lamb for a sacrifice. Here's what would happen. You would bring your lamb. The priest would, you know, go over your lamb with a fine-tooth comb, say your lamb's not holy enough to be sacrificed. you got to buy one of our lambs. And, and so they would charge them an exorbitant price. They're taking advantage of the worshipers. And let's say you live further away. You're not going to walk your lamb to Jerusalem. Let's say you're coming all the way from Rome. And and you come to Rome without your lamb, but you do come with your money to buy the lamb. But you got Roman money. And so you go to buy your lamb, and the the temple priests say, oh, sorry about that. We don't take Roman money. Well, what's the exchange rate? It's crazy. We're going to charge you off the charts for you to buy a lamb from us. And so here's what's happening. Instead of being a place for people to meet the God of love and mercy, it's become a place where people are literally ripped off and really can't really worship God. And so what does Jesus do? Look at John chapter 2 verse 12, verse 14. In the temple courts he found people, here we go, selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. Guys, the problem is not that they're selling. The problem is that they're ripping people off. They're taking advantage of the very people who've come to worship God. So what does Jesus do? So he made a whip out of cords. He drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my house into a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Do you have that picture of God? Whip in his hand, fire in his eyes, knocking over tables, screaming at the money changers as they duck and try to run for the parking lot? It's quite a scene. But it's appropriate. God's not flying off the handle. God's justifiably angry with people that would abuse people in that way. So there's two stories. Now let's go to a story that I think that, or scripture that I think would probably apply to us. Let's look at this for a moment. If you have your Bible, go to Romans chapter 1, all right? Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at just a few passages here. That, that have a phrase that, that ought to make you think a little bit. The phrase is God gave them over, okay? And, and we're going to look at three groups of people 
who live in such rebellious sin, who know God's will but don't care, that God finally says enough is enough. Let's start in verse 24. He's talking about people who've um, not glorified God, who's changed the glory of God for images. Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them over. There's our phrase. Say it with me. God gave them what? Over. He finally says, okay, that's the way you want it. Go for it, all right? God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading their bodies with one another. Finally God says, okay, that's your choice. Look down at verse 26. Here's another group. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Finally, God says, I'm just going to let this play out. You want to live this way, I'm going to let the consequences play out. I'll never forget Stephanie and I going to a, a parenting conference. It was really good. And the idea of the parenting conference was, you know, the, the best way to discipline your children is let them bear consequences. You, you know, that's in other words, if you sit down for dinner and your kid won't eat the food, then the consequence is they go to, go to bed hungry. It's not a big deal. You just let them go to bed hungry. If the kid's late to school every day and getting ready for school, there comes a point, and I always remember Stephanie doing this, where you make the child walk to school and you follow in the car, all right? It wasn't a happy day in our household, all right? But it was the the natural, instead of me coming up with a a spanking or some kind of different kind of consequence, like, okay, you chose this, you're going to live in the consequence. And that's exactly what God is doing here. And then look at a whole list of things in verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Here's our phrase again, guys. So God gave them over. They don't want the knowledge of God? You got it. To a depraved mind, so they do not do what ought to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Sounds like today. They disobey their parents. Hold on to that, kids. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Listen to this. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, those are some pretty challenging verses. What's going on there? God finally goes Burger King on them. He says, have it your way, all right? You just, I mean, if if that's the way you want it, then here's one thing I'm seeing about God as we do this study. God honors our choices, guys. God's not a bully. He's not going to override you. And if you choose to be rebellious and choose sin over him and choose disobedience over obedience and you choose to live an evil, unrighteous life, there is a moment that God says, okay, have it your way. You're on your own. That's a scary point, guys. Because, again, please, please listen to me closely here. That doesn't come easily. That doesn't happen overnight. That's not a slip up in sin. That's not living with a struggle in your life. I think there's so many passages I think I could tie into this. Literally, and we don't have to get into this. I think this is the sin against the Holy Spirit. 
I think this is where you get such a hard heart, you just don't give a flip of what God says. I think it's what David calls in the Psalms the great sin. I think it's what John calls in 1 John the sin unto death. He says, don't even pray for somebody with the sin unto death. Well, it's, it's that point where you just develop such a hard heart, despite the fact, like Romans 1 says, you know what God said, you deliberately rebel. So let's close this out just for a few moments. You see, here's our temptation, guys, today. Our temptation is to move from a God who's always angry to a God who's never angry. Many of us grew up because of our religious backgrounds or maybe because our family backgrounds is we just had this ongoing, every moment feeling that God was angry with us, that we didn't, we didn't measure up. We didn't see what we saw last week, that God is primarily a God of compassion and mercy. And so we had this God who's just always angry with us, and that drove us away from God. On the other hand, though, it seems in modern culture, we've moved to a God who we don't think is ever angry. We can't visualize God being angry. We don't even, we're not comfortable with a God of angry. But let me tell you, on this side, a God who's always angry will drive you away. On this side, a God who's never angry will lose your respect and drive you away. And that's why the scripture says you've got to understand this, guys. God is slow to anger. He's not just going to fly off the handle. But on the other hand, he's not going to approve of you just rejecting him on every corner. And guys, that's why t- this morning, man, I just, I just got to warn some of you. This was a bad week for me to read Ezekiel 3. But that was in my quiet time. And Ezekiel 3 says to the preacher, if you don't warn people, their bloods own you. So I'm here to tell you, if you're living in rebellious sin, if you have turned your back on God, if you're just doing whatever the mess you want to do, but you're not listening to God, you are in a scary position because here's what can happen. This is what these scriptures teach. You can continue along this line till you finally develop a hard heart. Oh, right now it may seem innocent. Right now you're just dabbling in sin, but you keep on and you keep on and you keep on. And the more you reject God, the easier it is to reject God. And finally there's that point that God said, I've had enough. You want to go in this direction? I'm sorry. I've done everything I can. I've sent my son to the cross. I've sent you the word of God to warn you. I've sent preachers to beg you. And you want to go that way? I'm sorry, but I I, I can't override your choice. I'm going to give you over to the consequences of your sin. God finally says, You want to live without me? Then you can live without me forever. Guys, that's what hell is. It's when God, God doesn't send people to hell. Don't mistake that. God finally just honors someone's choice that says, I don't care, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live my life my way. I don't have to have you. God finally says, okay, you got it. So I want to ask you as I close today, what do you need to hear today? 
I see two groups of people, okay? And I, I, wanna, I, hope, I hope I'm communicating clearly because this is, this is challenging. There are some of you who need to hear God is slow to anger with the emphasis on slow. Because you did grow up with that idea of every mistake and every fault, you're just slammed. And God just, God takes joy in condemning you. And God just looking for your fault so he can send you to hell. That's, that's not the picture. God's baseline emotion is compassion and mercy. Anger's not his baseline emotion. That's, that, that's, that's the exception with God. And, and for some of you in here, you need to hear me say, and you need to hear the word of God say, he's slow to anger. Get off this like we talked about last week. Stop carrying this bag of rocks around. Stop living on this guilt trip. Because God's patient and he's loving and he doesn't get angry quickly. And, and, and for some of you who need to hear that, I hope you hear that clearly. And as we sing and we have this time of response, and you need the church to pray that you grasp the grace and love of God. Because you're applying it to other people, which is like me. I can, I can give other people lots of grace and understand, oh, and, you know, they, I know where their heart is. And that's what God knows. But can you give yourself grace? And some of you need to hear, he's slow to anger. He's not just up in heaven flying off the handle. But then there are others of us today who need to hear he's slow to anger. That you can push the envelope so far that you can cross a threshold that you can rebel so consistently and so defiantly that God finally says enough and guys the the, the most loving thing I can do this morning is to warn you to get up and do something about it if that's the direction you're going and while I'm talking about it you're going oh my goodness I've been man I'm, I'm begging you you probably wouldn't be here today if you'd crossed the line. That's my guess. But you could, okay? And you don't want to get to that point where God says, okay, bud, enough is enough. I'm just going to give you over the consequences of your rebellious way. And today, if you feel yourself going in that direction, you need to get up here and repent quickly. This is serious, eternal business. So whether today you need to embrace the fact that you can push God too far. He loves you. He loves you too much just to say it's okay to mess yourself up and mess other people up. He loves too much. But on the other hand, some of you need to embrace the fact that despite the fact you're not perfect, man, he's not flying off the handle you. He's, he's loving. And so today we got lots to pray about. And if we need to pray for you, Won't you come right now as we stand and sing?